This is Space Time, Series 23, Episode 109, full broadcast on the 16th of October 2020. Coming up on Space Time, a new study suggests that Venus may have been habitable were it not for Jupiter, a new view of the northern sky, and is Earth about to get another moon? All that and more coming up on Space Time. A new study claims that Venus may not have become the sweltering waterless hellhole it is today were it not for Jupiter having altered its orbit around the Sun. The findings, reported in the Planetary Science Journal, suggest that early on in Jupiter's formation as a planet, it migrated towards the inner solar system and then migrated back out again, all of this due to interactions with the protoplanetary disk from which the planets formed. The study's lead author, Stephen Kane from the University of California, Riverside, says this planetary migration event may have affected Venus. Jupiter has a mass that equates to two and a half times that of all the other planets in the solar system combined. Because this king of planets is so comparatively gigantic, it has the ability to affect the orbits of all the other planets. Observations of other planetary systems have shown that similar giant planetary migrations soon after formation may be a relatively common occurrence. Scientists consider planets lacking liquid water to be incapable of hosting life as we know it. And Kane says Jupiter's migration likely triggered Venus onto a path towards its current inhospitable state. One of the interesting things about Venus today is that its orbit is almost perfectly circular. Kane and colleagues wanted to explore whether its orbit's always been this round, and if not, what would be the implications of that. So, the authors created a model that simulates our solar system, calculating the locations of all the planets at any one time, and how they gravitationally pull on one another in different directions. Scientists measure how non-circular a planet's orbit is between zero, which is completely circular, and one, which is not circular at all. This number between 0 and 1 is referred to as the eccentricity of the orbit. Now, while an orbit with 0 is completely round, a planet with an eccentricity of 1 wouldn't complete an orbit around a star and would instead be simply flung into interstellar space. Currently, the orbit of Venus is measured at 0.006, which is far more circular than any other planet in the solar system. However, Keane's model shows that when Jupiter was likely closer to the Sun, Venus likely had an eccentricity of 0.3, and there was a much higher probability that it was habitable back then. Keane says as Jupiter migrated, Venus would have gone through dramatic changes in climate, heating up, then cooling off, and increasingly losing its water into the atmosphere. Now, of course, recently scientists have become very excited about the discovery of the chemical phosphine, which is typically produced by microbes on Earth, in the clouds enshrouding Venus. Kane says that while it is likely other processes could also produce this phosphine, it nevertheless could indicate the presence of life. He says it's therefore possible that this gas represents the last surviving species on a planet that went through a dramatic change in its environment. Kane says it's important to understand what happened to Venus, a planet that was once likely habitable and now has a surface temperature of over 400 degrees Celsius, hot enough to melt lead. 
By looking at the differences between Venus and Earth and what went wrong on Venus, scientists can gain a better insight into how the Earth is habitable and what can best be done to protect this planet. Of course, the planetary migration theory, which suggests that Jupiter migrated towards the inner solar system and then migrated back out again around 4.5 billion years ago, shows that both Venus and Earth were equally affected by that move. In fact, it may well have led to the formation of all the inner terrestrial planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars. It also explains why two of the planets, Venus and Earth, are relatively large, while the other two, Mercury and Mars, are relatively small. But whether or not Jovian migration can explain why Venus turned out so differently to the Earth, well, that's another question. This is space-time. Still to come, a new view of the northern sky, and is the Earth about to get another moon? All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. It's a brilliant way to improve your knowledge on pretty well anything you want. The Great Courses Plus Extensive Course Library lets you explore distant exoplanets, better understand world history, even improve your cooking skills, and so much more. All of the content's objective and fact-based, and it's presented by really top experts and professors in their fields. Now, as we mentioned last time, I've been checking out a fascinating course looking at how science shapes science fiction. As usual with The Great Courses Plus, the lecturer is top-notch. It's presented by Dr. Charles Adler, a professor of physics and, importantly, a lifelong science fiction fan. He's the author of the book Wizards, Aliens and Starships, Physics and Maths in Fantasy and Science Fiction. The course explains how really good science fiction comes out of really good science. You'll also learn how science fiction through the ages has helped shape scientific discovery. This is a really great course. But then again, that's what The Great Courses Plus is all about. And because it's a streaming service, you can use The Great Courses Plus app to educate yourself anywhere, anytime. And now's the perfect time to sign up for The Great Courses Plus. As a space-time listener, you can check out any course or lecture in the entire library for free. So why wait any longer? Like me, you know you want to try it out. So sign up today through our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com space. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. That way they'll know you came from us and you'll be hoping to support our show. And of course you can find the URL details in the show notes and on our website. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And now, it's back to our show. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, TESS, is providing astronomers with a new view of the northern skies, revealing a panorama of both familiar stars and newly discovered worlds. The planet-hunting spacecraft has now imaged 75% of the sky during its two-year-long survey. Included in that has been the discovery of 74 never-before-seen exoplanets, worlds beyond our solar system. Astronomers are currently sifting through the test data looking at an additional 1,200 exoplanet candidates. TESS locates planets by simultaneously monitoring an entire sector of stars all at once, searching for tiny telltale changes in the brightness of the light coming from any one of those thousands of stars. 
If that dip in brightness repeats on a regular basis, it could be caused by an orbiting planet passing in front of or transiting the star as seen from the spacecraft's perspective. This technique has proven to be the most successful planet-finding strategy so far, accounting for some three-quarters of the nearly 4,300 exoplanets now known. The data collected by TESS also helps in the study of other phenomena, such as stellar variations and supernova explosions, in unprecedented detail. The new just-released northern mosaic covers less of the sky than its southern counterpart, which was imaged during the mission's first year of operations. And for about half of the northern sectors, the team decided to angle the cameras further north to minimise the impact of scattered light from the Earth and the Moon, resulting in what's turned out to be a prominent gap in the coverage. Still, this new northern panorama is spectacular, yet it only represents a glimpse of the data Tess has returned. The mission splits each celestial hemisphere into 13 sectors. Tess imaged each sector for nearly a month using four cameras, each carrying a total of 16 sensors known as charge-coupled devices, or CCDs. During its primary mission, the cameras captured a full sector of the sky every 30 minutes. This means each CCD acquired nearly 30,800 full science images. Adding in other measurements, it means TESS has now beamed back more than 40 terabytes of data, the equivalent of streaming some 12,000 high-definition movies, or an average weekend of viewing at my place. And these numbers will rise sharply over the next year as TESS begins its extended mission. This will see the Space Telescope spend another year imaging the southern sky. The probe will revisit planets discovered during its first year of operation. It'll also find new ones and fill in gaps in coverage from its initial survey. Improvements to the spacecraft's data collection and processing now allows TESS to return a full sector of images every 10 minutes. And it can measure the brightness of stars every 20 seconds, all while continuing its previous strategy of measuring the brightness of tens of thousands of stars every two minutes. This report from NASA TV. TESS, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, has completed its survey of the northern sky, marking the end of its primary mission. To do this, TESS divided the northern sky into 13 sectors, and its four cameras monitored each sector for nearly a month. With these extended views, TESS looks for slight dips in starlight when distant planets pass in front of their host stars. But it also caught short-lived events, such as a black hole tearing apart a star that wandered too close. It took a full year of TESS imagery to build this beautiful panorama of the northern sky. A large swath of the northern sky remains unmapped. For six sectors, TESS tipped its cameras further north to avoid regions where stray light from the Earth and the Moon would hamper the view. At the center is the continuous viewing zone, here, the view of one TESS camera overlaps across all 13 sectors, which means TESS monitored the region for nearly an entire year. At its center is the North Ecliptic Pole. This is where the imaginary axis of Earth's orbit around the Sun meets the sky. More familiar to sky watchers is the North Celestial Pole. This is where the north end of our planet's spin axis intersects the sky. The whole starry vault appears to revolve around this point, conveniently marked by the nearby star Polaris. Located about 37 light-years away in the constellation Boötes, Arcturus is the fourth brightest star in the night sky. 
New stars form in gas-rich clouds throughout our galaxy. The North America Nebula, named for its resemblance to the continent, is a prominent example. Located about 1,700 light-years away in the constellation Cygnus, it's part of a vast factory complex with enough gas to make 100,000 sun-like stars. Peering beyond the confines of our own galaxy, Tess imaged the closest neighboring spiral galaxy. Visible by eye as a hazy patch, the Andromeda Galaxy, located 2.5 million light-years away, is a city of stars as vast as our own Milky Way. Astronomers have just begun sifting through the torrent of TESS data and are working to confirm planets among the thousands of candidates identified by the mission so far. TESS has already found a few northern stars hosting planets, one, named HD 19-1939, possesses a trio of Neptune-sized worlds. Having successfully mapped about 75% of the sky during its primary mission, TESS is now working on extended duty. Its cameras have turned back to the southern sky to complete another year-long survey, which will include areas not mapped the first time around. Now improved to return even more data than before, the best of tests is yet to come. Every now and then, a passing near-Earth asteroid gets caught up in our planet's gravitational field and ends up spending a couple of days, months or even a couple of years orbiting the Earth as another moon. And now a new candidate's been spotted by the PanStars-1 telescope in Hawaii. 2020 ESO was first detected on September the 17th and it's likely to become the Earth's latest mini-moon. As well as our regular big moon Luna, there are currently two temporary mini-moons, for want of a better term, orbiting the Earth, as well as a number of Trojans and other hangers-on. There's 4692-19 Kamawila, a 41-metre-wide asteroid which orbits the Sun with the Earth, but doesn't technically orbit the Earth itself. And then there's the 3.5-metre-wide asteroid 2020 CD3, which began orbiting the Earth in 2016 and left in May this year but it will be back in 2042. There are also a number of other hangar-oners, mostly Trojan asteroids, which occupy the Lagrangian L4 and L5 positions. Gravitational wells, located around 60 degrees ahead of and 60 degrees behind the Earth, along the path of Earth's orbit around the Sun. As for this new asteroid, 2020 SO, well, it's currently approaching the Earth, and its nominal trajectory suggests that it's being temporarily captured by Earth about now, entering by way of the outer Lagrangian L2 position and eventually exiting through the inner Lagrangian L1 point around May next year. During its geocentric orbit around Earth, it'll make its closest approach to the planet around December the 1st, passing just 50,000 kilometres above the Earth's surface. There'll be another reasonably close encounter in February next year, at a nominal perigee distance of around 230,000 kilometres. But our story doesn't end there. You see, more detailed observations by NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory suggest that rather than being an asteroid, 2020 SO could actually be a piece of space junk. 
JPL's Paul Chodas suspects it's part of a central upper stage of the failed Surveyor 2 lunar lander spacecraft, which was launched way back on September the 20th, 1966. Chodas says the object's Earth-like orbit and low relative velocity suggest a possible artificial object. And spectroscopy measurements in the future will help determine if it is in fact covered in titanium oxide paint. We'll keep you informed. This is Space Time. Still to come, a successful launch for a Russian Soyuz rideshare mission, and later in the science report, warnings that Earth's sea levels could rise by more than 38 centimetres by the turn of the century. All that and more still to come on Space Time. The Russian Federal Space Agency Roscosmos has launched three new telecommunications satellites into orbit aboard a Soyuz 21B rocket from the Plesetsk Cosmodrome, 800 kilometers north of Moscow. The three Gonads-M communication satellites were deployed into 1,400-kilometer-high orbits. The 280-kilogram Gonads, or Messenger, are a civilian version of the Russian military Strela-3 satellite system. Also aboard the mission were 15 small rideshare satellites which were deployed at an altitude of 575 kilometres. These included three 100-kilogram microsatellites and 12 smaller CubeSat nanosatellites. The spacecraft are on a range of missions including Earth observation, aircraft and maritime tracking, radio occultation measurements, greenhouse gas monitoring, various scientific experiments and new technology demonstrator missions. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. A new study by more than three dozen leading scientific institutions, including NASA, has concluded that Earth's sea levels could rise by more than 38 centimetres by the turn of the century because of the melting of Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets. The new findings, reported in a special edition of the journal Cryosphere, are in line with projections by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Meltwater from ice sheets could contribute a third of the total global sea level rise. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report projected that Greenland could contribute between 8 and 27 centimetres to global sea level rise this century, while the Antarctic could contribute between 3 and 28 centimetres. The new data looks at a greater range of possibilities, with model projections showing that the melting of the Greenland ice sheet could add a further 3 to 9 centimetres, while Antarctic ice sheet changes could contribute an additional 30 centimetres to sea level rise this century. The findings come as new data shows the Arctic summer sea ice coverage to be the second smallest since records began. In fact, only 2012 had less ice. This year's minimum was reached on September the 15th at 3.74 million square kilometres. This lack of coverage is further threatening polar bear and seal populations across the Arctic. A new study has shown that avoiding cow's milk in early life could stop babies developing asthma as kids. A report in the Journal of the American Medical Association looked at babies from families at high risk of developing allergies. 
they were split into two groups and given breast milk, either supplemented with a cow's milk formula or with a hyperallergenic formula made from individual amino acids. Asthma, or a recurrent wheeze, developed in about 10% of kids with the amino acid-based formula, compared with almost double that amount, 18%, in babies who were given the formula which included cow's milk. ANSTO, the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation, has created the world's first fully automated industrial-scale compacting system for the treatment of radioactive wastes. ANSTO was behind SYNROC, the technology that converts nuclear waste into a rock-like form that locks up radioactive elements. The new system uses robotics to carry out the operational and maintenance functions in an automated high-pressure and high-temperature unit called a hot isostatic press located at the SYNROC facility at the Lucas Heights Nuclear Reactor in Sydney's southern suburbs. The hot isostatic press involves applying pressure and heat to a canister that contains a mixture of radioactive waste and a special additive formulation to ensure it becomes compact before stored. Archaeologists in Egypt have uncovered dozens of ancient coffins discovered in a vast necropolis south of Cairo. Egypt's Tourism and Antiquities Ministry says at least 59 sealed sarcophagi, with mummies inside most of them, were found buried in three wells near the Saqqara pyramids. Officials say they believe there are still many more sarcophagi to be unearthed from the 2,600-year-old site. The Saqqara Plateau has some 11 pyramids, including the famous Step Pyramid, thought to be a direct descendant of the even more ancient Mesopotamian ziggurats. Saqqara is also home to hundreds of tombs of ancient officials, ranging from the First Dynasty in 2920 BCE right through to the Coptic period in the year 642. The Supreme Council of Antiquities say their studies showed that the decorated coffins were made for priests, top officials and elites from the Pharaonic Late Period between 664 and 525 BCE. The Australian Skeptics annual gala event Skepticon's back, but in a very different virtual format this year because of the ongoing COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. As always, one of the highlights of the weekend will be the Ben Spoon Award to the perpetrator of the most preposterous piece of paranormal or pseudoscientific piffle. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics looks at the nominations for this year's award. The nominations for the Ben Spoon Award for this year are a number of people whom we have seen before and who've actually been past winners. So they're obviously very keen to win the award, so they're making outrageous statements. One of them is Meryl Dory, who anti-vaccination who runs the Australian Anti-Vaccination Stroke Skeptic Stroke Risk Network. Never quite sure what their name is at the moment. She is suggesting that COVID-19 is not real. Obviously believes in 5G. Fran Sheffield, who runs a, uh, a website called uh, Homeopathy Plus, reckons homeopathy can help prevent COVID. And she suggests there's a conspiracy to conceal the evidence that homeopathy does this. Homeopathy doesn't cure nothing. So it's unlikely to work with COVID-19. Judy Wileyman, who's the author of a famous PhD doctorate in 2016, awarded by the University of Wollongong. They've been trying to run away from this for a long time, although they haven't withdrawn the PhD and the doctorate. She's saying it's uh, it's the same claims about uh, conspiracy and uh, government cover-up and things like COVID-19. It's Pete Evans, of course. Good old Palio Pete. He's always in the news. He's always in the news. He's, he's uh, had a very interesting year. He's an anti-vaccinationist. He's anti-fluoride. He promotes quite dangerous diets in some cases. But he, he has the light. Bot- he has the light now. <laughs> well, he has to buy a charge of light. Yes. 
if that's what you mean, fifteen thousand dollars for a, a, a few sort of uh, few tubes of light and, a, and a, a Tesla coil or something like that to uh, produces frequencies and harmonics to treat COVID nineteen amongst other things. Now, of course, he has his podcast. He just interviewed ex Doctor Wakefield, who's a classic anti vaccination person who caused all the problems with the MMR vaccine. Well, he's the one who uh, accuses MMR of causing autism. That's right. Yes, yeah, so totally debunked theory. Absolutely totally debunked by hundreds of thousands of cases and investigations. But yeah, Pete Evans is interviewing him. So he's an interesting candidate as well. We get uh, the organisation that was promoting bleach used for treating COVID. That was fined by the TGA for this uh, miracle mineral solution. Two radio DJs from Sydney, Kylie and Jackie O. Kyle and Jackie O, who would have a big presentation with Pete Evans. It gave him an unrestricted 20 minutes. In the sceptical world, it's mainly sort of online media, digital podcasts and things who are really promoting the heavyweight anti-COVID conspiracy theories. But you could go to some of the TV shows which sort of say it's overrated, etc. that COVID pandemic is not as, as nasty as it is. It's an area which is sort of very rife for um, people with conspiracy theories, pseudoscience, panic merchants. But these will be announced at the uh, the Saturday evening of our convention. That's the 24th. And uh, we'll be having the presentation, not just at the Bent Spoon, but some more positive awards too. Tell me about the Bent Spoon. How did that come about? It's been going for close to 40 years. And there's a whole range of different people from TV personalities to psychics to ghost hunters to TV shows. No one has won it more than once. It's gone to different people every time. And this year, we have some very strong contenders who have won it in the past. That's Tim Min- from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favourite podcast download provider and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 